in October, starting October 3rd, we're going to start something called Alpha. And what Alpha is, is it is a tool for the church for reaching those who would say by their own words they do not believe in God, don't believe in the gospel, but wanting to create a space for them to come, receive hospitality, good food, have a conversation on the basics of Christianity, and then make a whole night devoted to them sharing their questions, their thoughts, what they're wrestling through, and then us as followers of Christ to just simply listen and make space for that and pray for them and not use the night as a space to convince people, but rather to invite people in. So a couple weeks ago, Ricardo and I were on stage and we were talking about Alpha. He had gone to London, seen it done in other churches, was really excited about it. He had asked me if this would be something that I would lead. And a couple weeks ago, he asked me, why would the church do evangelism like this? And here, the short answer is that I have been trying to do evangelism, talk to people about my faith, even strangers, for the past three going on four years at Arizona State. And I'm very convinced there is no arguing people into the faith. I'm very convinced that there is no bulletproof, like, image picture thing that I could give to somebody that would be like, snap, they get it. They are convinced to follow Jesus. The only thing that I have actually seen work powerfully and effectively is hospitality. Here's what I mean. Hospitality, and this is how I'm going to define it, is that it is intentionally making room to give yourself and receive the other. It's making space to know and be known. Here is how convinced I am that this is the only way. And here's what I mean. I was on campus this week. I was actually done writing my sermon. Then I had to rewrite it all because of the story. But that's fine. So I got on campus with a friend of mine named Mark. And our goal was to talk to strangers, students. Usually we talk to them about Jesus today. I wanted to ask people their opinions on Alpha. And if it would be something they'd be interested in. And what would make a good space for that. And so we sit down with this guy. And say, hey, you got a second? And he's like, oh, Sure. And uh, I, I say, hey, we're asking people kind of some philosophical life, meaning, faith, purpose questions, and just want to hear your opinion. And he's like, okay, are you guys trying to evangelize me? And I have never had anybody say that to me out the gate, so I was kind of paralyzed. <laughs> I looked at Mark. I was like, you got an answer? Um, <laughs> no, I was like, hey, I was like, actually, no, like, we, we really just want to honestly ask your opinion on some stuff. It's going to be about faith and life and God and purpose, but I just want to hear what you have to say. And he goes, all right, I'm totally down to have a conversation. So we sit down with him, and he's like, hey, I'll totally be honest. He's like, but I just want you to know, I'm not like wavering any, or anything, and I don't want you to try to convert me. <laughs> and so I was like, well, this will be interesting. So I, I said, hey, man, we will, I promise you, we're not going to try to convert you at the end of this conversation. And so we had a really good conversation about a bunch of different things. And this student was incredibly bright. He was really, really hospitable in the sense of like inviting us in to listen and sharing and just really nice. And, uh, and so at some point in the conversation, I had asked him, I was like, hey man, why did you ask if we were gonna do evangelism? I've never actually had anybody ask me that even though most of the time I am trying to do evangelism. And so he laughed, and he started sharing his own story and upbringing in the church, and how about high school, he began 
to think a little bit more on whether there was a God and started getting really into YouTube videos about atheism and eventually became an atheist and then an agnostic. And so he was sharing his story and uh, I just let him talk. We got done. I thought it was a really good conversation. I was like, you know what? Like, I didn't get to share Jesus with this guy, but you know what? I like him. Like, maybe we can like hang out together. I was like, hey man, I'm always working on campus. Can I buy you lunch and we'll just hang out? And he goes, ah, nah, honestly, man, I really don't want to hang out with you again. <laughs> and, and so I was like, all right, well, you are honest. You are honest. That was good. So we get up, and we leave, and I walk away, and I go home, and I, I, I mean, this is not the first time this has happened. I've had multiple times on campus or just in my life where I try to share my faith, and I walk away, and I go, God, if this is really your grandmaster plan of rescuing people, I'm kind of worried because I do not have anything that's that convincing to say. And what I've come to realize is that the only way to actually draw people in is hospitality because for the most part, most people have already had an experience of Christianity within our culture, right? So it is, whether good or bad, when we begin to talk about God, Jesus, faith, anything with purpose, like we have those conversations they have, for the most part, already had an experience of Christianity, have chewed it up, spit it back out. That's the culture we live in. It is like a post-Christian environment. And so when we try to have conversations about God, it's like holding up that plate of spit-up food and go, do you want to take another bite? Really appetizing, right? And so how in the world are we actually going to do this? Like, how are we going to share? I think we all implicitly know this, Right? Like, that's why it's so hard to have these conversations, because we know before we even speak, everything we say has already been associated with a lot of people's past experiences, good or bad. So how do we undo that? And I wanted today, before we talk about what it's going to mean as a church to do Alpha, to just look at Jesus. I really don't have anything more convincing than that, but just to watch Jesus interact with people and see how he did witness and how he did hospitality. And so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 35. And we're going to be there in that story for most of the day. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We will get you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Keep it. And you have a Bible at home. John, chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned, saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came, saw where he was staying, they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, and one of the two who had heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So first read through on the story, especially if you're reading through the whole gospel of John, it's kind of an insignificant interaction. <laughs> really, the only story there is that John the Baptist, for the second time, second day in a row, has seen Jesus walking by and goes, that's the guy. He's the Savior. And his two disciples, I imagine he's probably like giving like the elbow nudge, like, hey, that Lamb of God. 
And so he tells them that, and they begin to follow Jesus, kind of creepily, because they're following him at a distance, just kind of like, what is this guy about? Jesus stops, turns around, looks at them, and goes, what do you want? And they tell him, like, hey, we want to know where you're staying. And so he says, come, and you will see, invites them to come along with him. They follow him, stay with him. We don't get any more of the story, but what happens is they walk away so convinced by being with Jesus that they go tell everybody, you got to come see the Messiah. So what makes this really significant is what comes before this story, like right before it, and also who's writing this story. So this is in John's gospel, and John, this is my favorite gospel. I love it because John is super honest from the get-go and reminds us over and over again. He ends his gospel saying, there could have been a million other stories I could have told you about Jesus, but I put these ones in here because I'm trying to convince you that Jesus is the Savior. Like, he's super obvious about it, and it begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this Word, this God, became a man and is now living among us. It's like his grand opening good news. That God who made the world, who's the answer to everything, he's come and become a human being to live with us. What also is significant is that of the two people that follow Jesus, one's name's Andrew and the other one, we don't know his name. And most scholars think that that's because it was actually John who wrote this gospel. Because the chance that he didn't know the person's name is really unlikely. Like he's getting a firsthand account of this story. And so they think that he didn't put his name in there kind of as like a humble way to point to Jesus. But what we have here is his first encounter with Jesus himself. And it's so impactful, so powerful, that out of all the other stories he could have used about Jesus, this is the one he starts with, and it's the first time he has Jesus speak in his gospel. And so they're following Jesus, awkwardly behind, and Jesus turns around and says, what are you seeking? Which is a pretty normal interaction if you have some guys following you down the street to turn around and say, like, hey, what do you want? So he turns around and says, what are you seeking? And the word there means, what are you seeking? What are you searching for? What are you desiring? What is it you want? So as crazy as it is, turning around and facing these two men, even though they have no clue this is happening, is God in the flesh. And God himself turns around and asks these two men, what is it you're looking for? What do you actually want? And I know that there's way more meaning to the story beneath the surface because it's a pretty quick interaction between them. But I know that John writing this is intentionally putting these out there as the introductory to Jesus, first inviting disciples in. Because he's telling the story that the Son of God is now standing here in front of the first men to follow him. And God turns around in the flesh and says, what is it you want? What are you looking for? I imagine... Just, just for a second with me, if you had sat down in your favorite coffee shop or your favorite restaurant somewhere, and you're just hanging out by yourself, and I want you to imagine that God himself walks in and sits down. Let's just suspend disbelief for a second that that would actually, just he walks in, God sits down, looks across the table from you, and asks you face to face, what is it you're looking for? What do you desire? What do you want? Think about that for a second, because that's an incredibly hard question to answer for ourselves. And then I want you to imagine that as you're trying to answer that question, that God himself goes, is that really what you're seeking for? 
what you want. So we have like one of the most core human questions from the get-go that Jesus is asking, and here's why. Here already is a moment for Jesus for hospitality. He's saying, you could follow me from a distance, you could hear about me from John the Baptist and his testimony, or you could just come and tell me what you actually are looking for. You can come face to face and be near me and experience me and just tell me, what are you looking for? And they ask him, Jesus, where are you staying? Which again, it's a pretty normal interaction. Like they just want to know, hey, where are you from? What side of town are you coming from? Because we kind of want to know more about you. John is saying you are the Lamb of God, but who actually are you? Where are you from? What's your history? What's your background? So they ask him, Jesus, where are you staying? But the word they use here for staying is the same word in John's gospel for abiding. So they are, without really realizing it, I'm sure they're just asking a normal question, they are asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, where are you abiding? And every space afterwards where this word is being used is actually in the mouth of Jesus. And here's every time that he uses that word. In John chapter 6, verse 56, Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. In 15.4, abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 15.5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 15.7, if you abide in me and, own, and my work abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 15.9, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And 15.10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I, I wonder, I like to imagine this when I read Bible stories, but they ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, where are you abiding? I imagine Jesus either having like a smirk on his face or a twinkle in his eye. Kind of as if to go, like, you want to know where I abide? Come and I'll show you what it means to abide. Everything about those verses I just read communicates that the whole desire of Jesus for his time on earth is closeness. It's proximity. It's being unified. It's being near. It's inviting every single one of us to come, to be close, to see where Jesus abides and ultimately to abide in him. Because that's what he's all about. He's all about hospitality. He's all about making space for them to come and get to know who he is. I'm sure Jesus could have just said, you want to know where I live? It's at uh, 139 Jerusalem Road, and it's just a couple blocks down the road. And uh, anyways, thanks for following me creepily. I'll see you guys later. That could have been the end of the story. Like, he could have just told him, this is where I'm staying at. But I, I know that John, when he's writing this gospel, is not concerned with the geographical location of Jesus at 9 a.m. on such and such day. The point of the story is that the first people where Jesus interacts with, Jesus invites them to come closer, invites them to come near, invites them to come see for themselves, make their own call on who Jesus is. And they ask him the question, where are you? And in it, I hear kind of some echoes of one of the most fundamental questions that we ask as human beings, which is, God, where are you? 
right? Like they're looking at God in the flesh, they don't know it, and they're asking, where are you? And that has got to be one of the most consistent questions that I think that everybody asks, whether you're a Christian or you're not, is God, if you're there, if you're real, where are you? And that's a difficult thing, living in 2018 and believing in a God that we cannot necessarily see. We ask that question all the time. God, where are you? When I wasn't a Christian, I asked that question all the time. Asked it in some of the hardest moments of my life. When my parents split, I asked, God, where are you if you're real? The first, one of the first men that really poured into me, one of my first wrestling coaches, he had passed away and I went to his funeral. I watched everybody there and how broken death was in this world. And I asked, God, if you're real, where are you? Because I don't know where you are. And then I became a Christian, and yet still, because of the brokenness of the world, over and over again, I asked that question, God, where are you? Because it's a hard question to ask. And Jesus, again, he could have just said, this is where I am, but we do not long for, I don't think, the geographical location of God. We want to experience God's closeness and his presence. We ask God, where are you? Not because we're not sure where he exists, but because we want him to feel like he's with us. We want to experience his closeness. We don't want to hear about it. We want to know God is real and experience it. We don't want to just hear somebody else's words about it. And that is what John the Baptist is doing. He's saying, behold, the Lamb of God. And Jesus is saying, don't just hear about me. Come and see me. Come experience me. Come and be close to me. And he carries that thread on throughout the rest of the Gospels. Over and over again, he stops and he asks his disciples, who does everybody say I am? Oh, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say one of the prophets. And then Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Everyone in this room, in this world, all of us, at some point have to ask and answer the question, who do I say Jesus is? And what it means to be a good witness, following in Jesus' footsteps, is making space for people to make that call themselves. I, I, I'm fully convinced that it's not possible to argue someone into the faith. I, I am really convinced of that. Rather, I think that the Holy Spirit has to do a work, open someone's eyes so they might see Jesus for who he is, and the only thing that we can actually do is introduce people and point them to Jesus. So what if we thought about witness and evangelism not as how we can be convincers, but as how we can be introducers? Like, what would it look like for us to be a church where we go, hey, I don't have all the answers, and you know what? I'm still kind of figuring this out. Why don't you come and see with me? Because I'm trying to come and see. I'm trying to follow Jesus and see, is he there, and where is he, and what does life look like alongside him? And that has always been who God is. I love how in this story, the disciples, he get, get invited in to follow Jesus, and there are no prerequisites. There are no moral check boxes they have to fill before they can come and follow Jesus. He just invites them. Why don't you come and see for yourself? Why don't you come and be near me, be close to me? Because that has always been who God is. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, he has always been a come and see kind of God. When he created Adam and Eve, his intention was to walk with them in the cool of the day because he wanted them to be near him and to see him and be with him. When Moses asked God, who do I say sent me to save Israel? God tells Moses, my name is going to be the I am. 
as if to say, the only way you can know my name is to watch how I am in your life. So come and see, Moses, how I will rescue Israel. And when he made Israel into this nation who'd be the answer for the world, he put his temple in the center of Israel and he put Israel in the center of the nations in the most habited part of the ancient world so that all the nations would be able to come and see who the real God is. And when Israel failed their role, God promised Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, he said, my dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God, they shall be my people, and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Nobody could have guessed that God's new sanctuary would be himself dwelling as a man walking amongst us. And what John is saying in the beginning of the story is that the word became flesh, and guess what? He's inviting us all to come and see for ourselves. He has always been a come and see, inviting hospitable kind of God, such to the point that Jesus went to the cross so that all might come and see him in his suffering, in his shame, and his brokenness. And when he resurrected from the dead, and this is one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of John, Thomas wouldn't believe that they saw the resurrected Jesus. He goes, unless I see it, unless I touch Jesus' hands, put his hands in my side, I'm not going to believe it. And we usually call him Doubting Thomas, but I don't think that story is a dig on Thomas. I think it's an affirmation of what he longed for. And so Jesus walks into the room and he goes, Thomas, put your hand in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Come, touch, see. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And he invites us all in over and over again to come and experience Jesus, to accept that invitation, and not just hear about him, but know him and love him. The difference is today, and this is, this is kind of a crazy thing, is just as God became a man and forever will be a man, he still is, the same way the spirit of God has come to dwell in God's people and forever will dwell in God's people. So if you ask a question like, where do we see and introduce people to Jesus today? There are billions of examples of little miniature versions of Christ. And so what it means to be hospitable is inviting the world in to see what God is doing amongst a people. See what God is doing in our church. See what God is doing amongst us and how it's real and how it's lived out amongst us. But again, we don't need to think about how to be the convincers. Our role is to be the inviters. So go ahead and close your Bibles for a second. We're going to shift gears for a bit. If you read through that story and you read through it a couple times, here's a pattern you'll notice. John the Baptist points to Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb of God. Andrew and I think John follow Jesus and Jesus says, come and experience for yourself. They are with Jesus and by being with Jesus, they're convinced that he's the Messiah. And what do they do? They go and tell someone that they know, hey, come and see with me. And what happens is the very same next story gets repeated right after that. Someone sees, they're here, they come and be with Jesus, and then they go tell somebody else. And so that is the pattern of our hospitality and that we are inviting the world, come and check it out for yourself. Don't let me convince you. Don't let anybody else convince you. Just come and see and be around Jesus and experience for yourself. And so that's why I get really excited about doing something like Alpha. 
it is not, uh, no system is going to be the fix-all be-all. But it's a really good skeleton, a really good model for us as a church to practice two things that I long for us to grow in. Well, three things I really want us to grow in. One of them is inviting. Two is hospitality. Here's the third one, praying. What I like about Alpha is we are basically making a night to feed people who want to give their honest opinion about, what they, about who God is, closing our mouths, listening, and then hoping God shows up. It is, Alpha is cool because it's designed to fail unless we pray and God shows up. There is no like at the end crescendo of like, we're going to convince you. It's just, we're going to make space for 10 weeks. And if you want to come and you want to eat dinner and you want to say, hey, I really wrestle with thinking God's even real. Great. Say that. Let's hear that. And then as a church, we pray, right? So I wanted to give us some tangible next steps for what to do for Alpha. Because every single one of us this is something that we can all take part in in a small way. This is an identity of the church in the sense that we are inviting people in. We're just making a good space for it. So <clears throat> what I would say is that we are not marketing Alpha at all. The only way people actually will show up to Alpha is if you invite them. That's it. That's the plan. Like The only way that someone can come to Alpha is if you walk up to them and say, hey, our church is doing this thing. It's open for anybody. It's a really good dinner. It's a talk on faith, life, meaning. And then the whole night is open for questions and people to give their honest opinions. And, and we're not going to convince you of anything. We're going to try to, we're just going to listen. It's a space for listening. And hey, would you, would you come and check it out? If you want, I'll go with you. So that's the only way we're going to do it is, is actually through invitation. So here's just some tangible ways I think that we can all be a part of Alpha. I'm going to give you one of three ways, okay? First one is uh, I would challenge you all to pray for one week for one person and invite them one time. That's it. Pray for one week for one person God puts on your mind and then invite them one time. Like, I don't care how you invite them, if it's in person, text, whatever. Hey, we're doing this thing. Would you come and be a part of it? If you are like, oh my gosh, that's terrifying to even get to do an invite like that. Totally get it. Here is the next step for you, I would say. Pray for one month for one minute every day for Alpha. It could be, it could be 10 seconds, okay? Just whatever, like for one month every day, when you get up in the morning, just pray, God, would you put somebody on my heart? Would you bring people to you in Alpha? And then I would say, if you're in here and you're like, hey, I've got a lot of questions. I don't know what I believe. I just personally want to say to you, I have been there, and I know what actually helped me was having a space where people cared for me and were hospitable, and I could just ask open and honest questions. So here would be my challenge for you. It would be that you try Alpha one time. At the very least, you're going to get fed really good food, and if you hate it, then don't come back the next week. That's the bare, bare minimum. Just come try it one time. Who knows? Maybe you actually like it, and maybe it's something good to be a part of. So... That is our uh, things to do. I put some things in my, in my Bible to show you guys. There they are. All right. I'm, I, I, I'm like all about good intentions, but I forget things all the time. So I made like little reminders for all of us to help out. So there's a ton of invites out there that give all the details for Alpha. So as you're walking out, just come say hey to me. Grab one of these guys. Put it on your dashboard. And you can hand it out to somebody who you want to invite. And then... These I like. So these are like these uh, 
They're like the little sticky decal decals you know you get from like changing your oil. So take one of these guys on your way out and either on your mirror or in your car, stick it on your windshield and pray for five seconds for somebody. I'm telling you, that none of this stuff works unless we desperately pray because God's got to do it. So those are, those are my two things with you. And then I forgot to announce the, the secret announcement. Maybe some of you guys were wondering, maybe some of you are like, what are you talking about? There's a white sheet of paper under your chair. Some of you guys are like, what? So there's a white sheet of paper under your chair. This is totally different. Go ahead and grab it. There's nothing on it. <laughs> You're not going to be surprised. So grab that sheet of paper. We're going to do something totally different than what we usually do from the service, but I think this is going to be really helpful. So grab a pen. There should be one in the back of your chair. And grab a sheet of paper. Okay. You want to put the graphic thing? Okay. We're going to do something right now. I'm going to give you guys about 60 seconds or so, and here's what I want you to do. In each of the, draw those circles first. I didn't give you the filled out one. So draw a circle for your family, a circle for friends, a circle for your coworkers, a circle for hobbies, and then a circle for third place. Third place is, think about like the coffee shop you go to or the barber shop you go to. Third place is not work, not home. It's kind of the in-between space. So that's going to be different for each of you guys. But draw those circles. And then what we're going to do, we're going to do it right now. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Put the name of anybody in these circles who either, by their own words, would say they don't know God, don't love Jesus, don't, they don't believe in anything, or you think could benefit from being around and having those conversations with Alpha, or you honestly just aren't sure at all where they stand religiously or at all. And so if you're not sure, you just put their name down. Just take 60 seconds. I'll tell you what we're going to do next. It's nothing crazy. Don't worry. And write down the names of those people. Okay, if you got a couple names, great. If you're still going, just pause for a second and look up here. <clears throat> okay, next thing we're going to do is we're going to pray quietly for 20 to 30 seconds. I'll, I'll time us. And all I want you to do is just silently, this is personally, quietly, I want you to pray, God, who is the one person on here who you might be drawing to my attention? Just one, Okay. So pray, who's the one person who's really sticking out to me on this list? And at the end of those 30 seconds, just circle that name. So go ahead and go.
Lord, thank you for the insight you've given. I love you. Amen. Okay, so that is your name. So either pray for one week for that one person and invite them one time, or just pray for an entire month for that person. And that is the person that I would challenge you all to invite. And guys, I totally know that talking about faith, talking about Christianity, sharing our faith, is in, it's incredibly intimidating. I mean, I, I have done it for the past three years as like my full-time job, and I still get freaked out and talking to strangers and sharing my faith. And when you know somebody, I think it actually gets harder because you love that person, you have relationship to that person. And so just the bare minimum thing that I would say is just start with prayer and pray that God would give boldness just enough for you to be like, hey, we're doing this thing. Would you come and be a part of it? We'll go from there. So you can go ahead and set your papers down or put them in your purse for now or your backpack and close up your Bibles. And uh, would you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you that it is not up to our, our boldness, how good we are at arguing or apologetics or convincing people, but it is actually in your spirit and all we get to do is point to you, Jesus, as the God-man, as the man that is like no one. And so I pray, Lord, for this little time, this little exercise that you put on all our hearts, exactly who you want us to invite. Not even necessarily to share with, but Lord, just to invite, to pray for, to intentionally love, that we as a church might grow in prayer, that we might grow in being a witness and telling people not that he is the answer, but we have found the one who is good. We have found the Savior. We have found the Messiah. Lord, we love you. And as we continue to worship today, I pray, Lord, that you would guide us, that you'd lift up the name of your son. In your name we pray. Amen.